TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and this week's episode is brought to you by Cave Camp, an amazing weekend of education, information, and connection with your tribe. For details, go to drbretthill.com forward slash shop. So this week, I'm welcoming onto the show a physio. He's the founder of Pogo Physiotherapy. He's also a triathlete and a runner, and he's the author of the Amazon bestseller, You Can Run Pain-Free. Um, obviously, this is a topic near and dear to my heart, something I love talking about. So welcome to the show, Brad Beer. Thanks, Brett. Great to be uh, great to be uh, great to be here, mate. Yeah, great to have you on board, mate. Looking forward to a chat. So, running pain free—that is, uh, you know, many runners would that would be like a dream for them. That would be something that they would just love to happen. So, tell me about. Well, let's let's start from the start. Tell me about your journey towards becoming a triathlete and a runner. Um, where did your journey start? Yeah, Brett. I my I've only ever had two career pathways in mind. I guess um, I grew up in a small country town called Grafton and uh, New South Wales, and I first fell in love with running when I watched uh, the domestic televised triathlon series, and um, one of Australia's great triathletes, Brad Bevan, running around and you know, taking the winning in many events, and so <laughs> my passion for running and triathlon was spawned off watching that as a 10, 10 or 11-year-old Brett, and off the back of that, it, I set about for the, the next 10 years, up until the age of 20, uh, pretty single-mindedly uh, training as a triathlete and, and not seeing too much in my future other than professional triathlon. Uh, the only other career that had any interest was actually the one I'm in now, and that was physio, because my physio at the time, who I used to see regularly, Brett once said, um, you'd make a great physio. So <laughs> that was my introduction to, uh, to running was uh, the triathlon series on telly. And what, what was your experience with that? How, did you, how far did you go with your running? What level did you get to? And, uh, and did you find that you had challenges, injuries, those sort of things along the way? Yeah, certainly. Uh, fortunately, my ambition was back with a bit of talent, Brett. So I, um, I was a competitive junior and uh, aspiring for World Junior Championships uh, in my last season. Uh, so it was a you know a, a national national level junior, and mm-hmm. uh, my best leg was in coincidentally the, the bike. My swim was strong, and my run was always terrible compared to the uh, the guys that were podium in. So I'd often get run down off the bike after you know being well placed, if not off the bike first. So um, I had no confidence as a runner. I had plenty of running injuries, and uh, had a big bike crash in 1999 as a 19 year old. Uh, it was a subarachnoid hemorrhage and fractures. It was a really bad crash and uh, cracking my cartilage in my knee and a few things. And unbeknownst to me at the time, that was going to really be the major hurdle for me to continue on that sort of path into a professional triathlon career. So, um, so mate, that was my start. And I was, I was competitive, but that sort of changed everything with that bad bike crash. And off the back of that, I started uni, Brett, and physiotherapy degree took over and Outside of uni, I graduated, started a physio practice, and nine years later, here I am. And through that time, mate, I've made a return to running about eight years ago. And coincidentally, incidentally, I run better now than I did as a junior. So, you know, that's part of my passion in physiotherapy is really helping runners uh, discover that running injury-free uh, and improving their running is something that is possible. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because 
so often we hear that uh, you know running is bad for you. That you know that we're not supposed to run as much as we do. That we're not supposed to you know that running is bad for your knees. It hurts your joints. You hear, you hear all these sort of things, and so many people are told not to run. And and I'm think I'm probably a bit like you in practice. You know, my passion is helping people do the things that they love. You know, I'm I'm a bit of an obsessive cricketer. Um, I'm actually I will have my cricket grand final uh, starting tomorrow. So. The result of that will have been decided by the time this podcast goes to air, but I'm very excited about that after some, yep. you know, twenty odd years of playing cricket, I'm finally in a grand final. So um but but you know, my, my passion is helping people do the things they love. I love playing cricket and I love the fact that by doing my chiropractic, by exercising, by eating right, by doing all those other things, it'll it's allowed me to keep doing the things that I love. And and I imagine that's the same with you in, in your practice. You know, was that kind of what reignited your passion to get out there and get running? Yeah, it was Brett. Um, I was early in practice life as, you know, pioneering this practice from a zero-based start and, you know, doing the hours that are required to, to get some momentum there. And it was the first time, you know, for many years that I hadn't been active. I was surfing and going to the gym, but um, I felt like I needed to get exercising again. I had no confidence to run again because of this knee injury I'd carried over after the bike crash. And so... The return to running for me was kind of born out of necessity, just mentally. I needed an outlet. I was pushed for time. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I used to dislike the run, I sort of uh, was on a, uh, on a trip away with my wife, visiting her family who were in Portugal, and um, had nothing literally to do. I was in this little village bar, you know, going for a run for exercise, and I was surprised I could get up to a 60-minute run without pain. And so I um, came back to the Gold Coast in Australia and started to run with more consistency. And so... Yeah, my passion, I guess, that was my personal journey and getting back into running. Um, but my professional ones, you know, mirrored with yours, Brett, I mean, we talk about pretty much almost verbatim what you've just described, and that's, you know, we do what we do to help people perform at their physical best so that they can do the things they love to do. So, mate, it's, it's a beautiful irony that we both share that, that driving belief as practitioners. Yeah, well, it, it just makes sense, doesn't it? And, and at the end of the day, you know, like I said, it's, it's not... Being out, being out of pain that inspires people. It's what being out of pain allows them to do, you know, the, the yeah. stuff that they can then enjoy in that quality of life. So you've obviously seen lots of that in your practice, but you've obviously seen that personally as well. What was it for you then? What do you think was the change for you that allowed you to run pain-free? Yeah, Brett, um, I guess it's worth noting too because, you know, as you say there, Brett, it's not about the, in, the, the injury or the pain that motivates people. It's, you know, what getting back to what they love that that is and when i was injured as a triathlete after this big bike crash as a junior i i was literally clinically depressed and suicidal at one Mm. point and so you know that really has helped me and served me well as painful as a personal journey as it was to to journey through in in being able to relate to clients uh, in the professional sense who come Mm. in and you know they think it's just about the sore achilles or the knee or the hip or the back it's you know in reality it's their emotions that sit behind it their mental well-being you not being able to do those physical things. So what it was that, um, that uh, I guess that spawned, you know, my change in my running was doing my best for my clients and obviously researching what, okay, well, uh, yes, I can patch you up and get you out of the practice pain-free, but is that enough? And, and in my mind, I arrived at the, I guess, the re- clinical revelation that unless I was looking at running technique, Brett, um, and, and also their shoes and starting to formulate this framework around what was needed for someone to run pain-free, 
then I didn't feel like I was doing my professional duty for the patient or the client. So hmm. uh, off the back of that, for years, I've used this framework, which is now the formal framework in, you know, you can run pain-free the book, which is a five-step framework, which looks at, you know, the runner holistically uh, in, to ensure that they get rehabilitated. Yes, first base, but second base, third base, they go on to enjoy consistent injury-free running. So why do you think running is such an issue for so many people? Why, why is it that many people are told not to run or that they can't run or that running is bad for them? Um, you know, why is running such an issue? It, it seems, you know, obviously from interviews we've done, you've interviewed people like Chris McDougall from Born to Run, um, you know, and, and they've said that, well, running is an innate part of being human. You know, it's what we did. It's how we hunted. It's how we got around. So it seems strange to now suggest that running is such a problem. So why is it that running is causing so many issues? Yeah, Brett, I, I, you know, I, I think if I had to just nail it down to some broad headlines would be there's a lot of misnomers, as you and I know, in our field of work around running, you know, that it's not good for our joints, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that prejudices many people's, you know, views of running. But practically, I guess the question really is, well, why are there so many injuries in this modern age? And I, and I do think it's because just physically we're less robust uh, you know, as a modern people, uh, there's less physical work, there's more sitting, there's mm. more electronic devices, and, you know, that's obviously just a recognised trend widespread. And so, therefore, we're less physically robust. We're often, you know, our frame weight or our body weight can often be in excess of our genetic sort of, you know, predetermined norm. And so once we start running with, you know, even plus 2, 5, 10 kilos, that can be one of many factors that can mm. produce an injury. And then there's the ignorance around, um, you know, how to run. And, you know, this has obviously been a big, a big movement for the last decade with practitioners like you and I uh, trying to get in there and fill the void of a bit of base knowledge so people can get out there and run with some understanding of, you know, what the right mechanics are. So they'd probably be the top, top just headline reasons that I would, I would put forth. And what about running on the road? Um, often that's described as, as being one of the issues is that, you know, the surfaces we run on are not, uh, you know, are not natural surfaces. It was, it was interesting. Once again, we interviewed Chris McDougall on the Wellness Guys show in my other podcast, and, and his, his take on that was he said, well, you know, if you think about where we originally were running in Africa, it was, you know, along trails that had been used for generations by hooved animals that had packed down that dirt really tight. And so his idea was that, you know, it wasn't actually the road that was the problem. That was, you know, we were quite used to dealing with quite hard surfaces, but it was more about the technique and the capability and those things you've just spoken about. Whereas, you know, I know a lot of other people will say, well, no, you know, you're much better off running in natural areas and, and avoiding the road. What are you, what's your take on that? Yeah, Brett, I mean, great, great question, great point. I agree with yourself and Chris there and you know, I have a little mantra that's the form before the footwear or, you know, the mm. running body, you know, so often. And, and it's, a, it's a modern day uh, running industry. You know, the running shoe industry is a you know, multi-billion dollar industry, right? And, um, you know, their marketing is such that, hey, Brett, Brad, get the right shoes, a runner. And, you know, all your woes of injuries and everything else will be solved. So I think <laughs> by default, we start to think, okay, I've got to get the right shoes. That's the answer here. And we forget about the fact that the runner's body drives the shoes. And I think, Brett, in the same way, it's like that with running surfaces, you know, we'll talk about the road or the track or the trail or grass, the beach, um, as is that my solution to staying injury free? And I'd say, yes, we need to be mindful of the surface, but there's probably bigger fish that need to be identified and addressed before someone gets too caught up on whether what surface they're running on. Because realistically, 
you and I should be able to run on most surfaces without any problem at all for as, as long as we like. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree, Brad. And, and you hear it all the time where people say, oh, it was because of this surface or it was because I had to step over this obstacle or, you know, but you sort of think to yourself, well, you know, many other people have done that um, and not had that same issue. So, you know, what's the difference? And, and I think the difference often comes down to that, that capability and that technique that you spoke about. I mean, I know for myself, you know, I did a couple of years ago, I trained up and I ran the city to bay in Adelaide. That's our sort of 12 kilometer fun run we have here. Um, yeah. And I run that totally barefoot without any shoes at all on the bitumen, you know, yeah. and, and it wasn't a problem because I'd, I'd trained up for it, I'd worked on my technique, I'd, you know, developed the capability of my feet through, um, you know, slowly increasing the distance and getting my feet used to that um, to be able to do that. And, and it wasn't a problem. I was able to do that without any issues, without even getting a blister. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, good point. It, it just goes to show that, you know, we, I think we, our, our bodies are capable of more than we realise. But I guess that also comes to another point is, well, then, you know, where is the limit? Where's the, where's the limit in the capabilities? When is too much running, you know, when is it too much running? When are you going too hard or too fast? Because, um, you know, you do see issues, and I'm sure you see them in practice, of, of, you know, overuse injuries and chronic fatigue perhaps or adrenal issues or, you know, from people, you know, uh, menstrual issues, reproductive issues, from people just going too hard. So how do people find the balance? Oh, Brett, wouldn't we both like to have that in a concise little, uh, you know, <coughs> it's a great point. I mean, the fifth sort of thing that for years I had been, I guess, loosely addressing with my patients who were injured as runners was this concept of rest. And until I sat down to put it together in you know, the running book I released, it was kind of a, a loose framework that I'd used. And so I sort of talk about the power of rest. And I think, Brett, you know, when's, there too, when's someone going too hard too fast? I, I think the key message I try and educate, you know, my clientele and patients on and the, the wider running community is to avoid those spikes in training. So whether that's, mm. a, you know, a sudden increase in the volume, uh, the intensity or a change in surface, anything that represents a significant proportionate increase compared to the previous week or month or period will potentially put the runner in a bit of injury uh, risk zone. So... Mm. I often like just to bring it back to the basics. Hey, just build smartly and proportionately and make sure you're factoring rest. And, you know, a lot of runners are very anxious type A type people and this is their outlet. So the concept of rest doesn't often come easily. So it's obviously such an individual prescription, Brett, and that is obviously the art and the science of what we do and it's also the the thrill of the pursuit for the runner, right, and trying to find what is their potential without ending up with an injury or broken down. As you say, it's not just the physical injuries. It can be, you know, uh, drained and taxed adrenal glands through to, you know, um, menstrual issues, etc. So don't have a beautiful one-line answer, Brett, but I certainly do have some strong strong thoughts around the power of rest. Yeah, I think that rest issue is crucially important. In fact, it reminds me of, once again, I keep talking about the wellness guys. One of the interviews we did early days in the wellness guys, we interviewed a guy called Jeff Spencer, um, who works with elite athletes all around the world and, and has worked with some of the absolute top athletes in the world. And, and his take on that was, you know, when looking at champions and what they do differently, he said one of the biggest things they do is actually rest well. Um, and that was really eye-opening to hear that you know that that is the absolute. You know, the best of the best is they they consider that rest really important. So it's it's backing up what you're saying. Yeah, I like that rest well. Yep, beautiful. So talking about technique, you've mentioned it a few times. How important that is. Um, 
as I was saying to you off air, you know, I'll be running in the next couple of days as this episode goes live, a, a barefoot running workshop in Adelaide where I talk to people all about running technique. But I'd love to hear from you, Brad. You know, what do you think the most important – well, I guess actually before we get into what the most important things people can do right, what about – let's talk about the things people do wrong in terms of their technique when it comes to running. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I sort of bring it back, Brett, to technique-wise, just five key principles. And, you know, when I run similar type workshops, you know, here on the Gold Coast and – I often joke with people and say, look, just remember principle one, fall asleep for principles two to five and you'll still you know, come out with a good outcome. But the biggest mistake, I guess, Brett, that um, I see you know, runners making is, is, is overstriding. And so mm. I know this gets a lot of press you know, in this community and around the world these days. But um, you know, that's, I think, driven by uh, an observation that we make as recreational runners or runners make of the you know the elite athletes we see them taking these enormous strides and so we equate in our minds that okay well to run fast i must have to stride out but obviously uh that creates some challenges with forces going on the body as the foot lands out in front of the body so that would be the first major um technique floor if you like brett that i think i don't think i've probably apart from elite athletes that have got their technique under control and um have spiked their training load like we were just talking about in mm. terms of the the recreational and the amateur athletes that I, I see, normally technique and overstriding is a factor for the bulk of overuse running injuries that I see. So that's number one. Yeah, and so so shortening up the stride is important. What else? What are, what are the other tips that we go into? Yeah, the other ones, two to five, are minimize bobbing up and down. Brett, um, yeah. you know, the old adage, what goes up comes down, and, and I find that by you know, shortening the strides or increasing the cadence or the turnover rate, even by 10%. I mean, I put a line in the sand of 90 steps a minute is something to aim for because I think that's powerful for people um, to have a number in mind. But if those steps are too big, then the body bobs up and down excessively and that increases forces. Uh, The third is, you know, the foot placement. Where is it landing? Is it out in front of the body? Is it directly under the centre of mass? Uh, and then what part of the foot's landing. And I, it's a dangerous sort of thing I've found that you start talking about what part of the foot should hit the ground because I feel that many runners take that and start to try and manipulate <laughs> their foot. I'm going to try and get more on the forefoot and the toes and you know, off the back of that Achilles and calves can get sore. So I find that really coaching around that cadence and forgetting about where the foot's landing to start with is helpful. So that would be number three, Brett, and four and five. Um, falls about the body position so you know leaning forwards it's the direction that you're going it's the direction of the finish line so harness that that momentum and lean forwards at the ankles and the fifth one Brett that I coach around is you know utilizing the natural springs in the uh, in the body which are the you know the the, the tenderness structures the Achilles tendon the plantar fascia and, and things like that through um, foot placement cadence and, and those sorts of things. I mean, then there's other little sub points, like what are their arms doing, their shoulders and things like that. Yeah, there's lots of points to it, aren't there? But I think, yeah, as you said, the, the basics of, you know, keeping your posture right, you know, nice and upright, get a nice lean forward, keeping your short, you know, your stride length short, and your feet underneath yourself rather than out in front of yourself. It's it's simple stuff, isn't it? But, it, but it's not, you know, when you watch kids run around in a playground, you watch them run and that's what they do quite innately um whereas most adults don't do that so what do you, why do you think that is where's the disconnect happened there yeah it's i agree with that observation it's i think i don't have an exact answer but just some theories and observation one would be 
you know, footwear. Uh, kids obviously often run around barefooted and you could take anyone's shoes off and you've observed this as have <laughs> I and, and all of a sudden their weight shifts, they can't land on that cumbersome overstriding heel type strike. All of a sudden they're, you know, they're more on that midfoot, forefoot type area just out of necessity. Um, so I think shoes play a part. And, and I, I don't know, I mean, I think adult life, you know, in terms of... Yeah, I think sitting is a massive part of it. It's hot in those hip flexors and quads and, you know, this, this inhibited in the glutes and so that starts to affect that posture. So I think that's probably the other key thing and, yeah, that'd be my two, Brett. It's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just, as you said before, just general deconditioning, just the fact that, you know, we don't move as much as we should, we don't fire those core muscles, stretch those muscles as much as we should... Um, means that you know we're often unable to maintain what would sh- what should be just a very normal posture and position because we just have lost that capability. We've, we've sort of detrained ourselves by sitting so much. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No <laughs> so but easy, easy solutions, isn't there? And I like what you yeah. said. This is not hard stuff. Just a few basic principles. You, people can run with it to the nth, you know, nth little detail, or they can yeah. Do it principles either way they're still going to benefit enormously oh it's amazing and as you said before you know you mentioned the head bobbing up and down and that's probably you know that's the most obvious thing to notice you know i I do a you know like you a 90 minute workshop and and at the end of that 90 minute workshop you see the difference in people's just the smoothness with which they run and and it just looks you just sort of look at it and think oh thank god you know for their body you know because often when you watch them run at the start you just think ouch you know like that just looks hard on the body that's causing lots of problems um isn't it amazing i should say just a basic little running coaching session and all of a sudden you know years of ingrained patterns can start to be changed and you know, yeah that means you know and, and you and i recognize this in healthcare it's not just about them running it's about the follow-on effects of their on their health yeah know, the running producers so absolutely you know, it's not just running for running's sake a classic story brett is a gentleman i saw here years ago and was driving some distance to see me and uh, he had an ankle injury and so yes we got him back from the ankle injury got him back to successful running but years later he went on to have a a uh, at the age of 50 a uh, massive heart attack needed a quadruple bypass and it was only his running fitness that wow. you know, spared his life and so i use that as a story in the book and also when i coach and teach our different therapists about hey, guys, don't forget about what you're doing as a health practitioner. Um, it's not just about the activity. It's about this is the impact that we can have. And, you know, as a broader, you know, like so I'm such a fan of what you do, Brett, with the, the podcast and getting the message out, this little bit of education can literally save lives. Yeah, and, and I guess the other thing is the, the mental side of it. You know, it makes a massive difference for people. The amount of people who've come to one of my running workshops and said to me, well, I can't run, I don't run, you know, I can't do this, and by the end of the workshop, have realised that actually it's def- well within their capabilities, and actually something that they quite, have quite enjoyed doing when they started doing it right. Um, and the shift that makes for them mentally, in terms of their confidence, in terms of their you know how they feel about themselves and their body, can be can be quite huge. Yep, it's, it's isn't it? What a great outcome. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And, and certainly, you know, some of the messages I still have people who contact me on social media and tell me, you know, uh, one of the ladies. I remember her doing the workshop and, and she was, you know, not a young lady and, and she told me she'd never run in her life, she'd never been able to do anything and, you know, just a couple of months ago she sent me a message on social media of, of her 10-kilometre fun run she just smashed out, you know, and uh, and it's amazing and, and I still have others who send me videos of themselves working out and it, it's just an absolute pleasure to see that change it can make on people's lives, just getting them out and getting it move, getting them moving with something as simple as running. Yeah, yeah, it's, yep. Yeah. 
Very cool. Beautiful. So let's talk about shoes, mate. What do you recommend in terms of footwear? Yeah, gosh, um, big question, Brett. Um, rather than, I mean, it's for me, less about this is the framework I use. Less about the brand and the, you know, the exact model, and more about the category, Brett, of, of shoes. Yeah. And and I'll always prejudice any conversation about running shoes back with let's talk about shoes once we've got something happening with your running body, which yeah. includes the body itself, stiff bits, tight bits, big bits, weak bits. And obviously the running form, and then you know we start to talk about shoes because the magic really happens when all things are addressed for sure. So, mate, I use a framework of really in my head clinically six considerations around you know fitting a runner with shoes. And <coughs> from the research I did in pulling together the book, it was quite nice and quite a nice irony that you know the information or the, the education our parents probably gave us when we were little guys and little girls trying on shoes was that hey is it comfortable if it's comfortable it's probably good <laughs> so from the the, the, year, the sorry the years the hours i spent researching that the section on the book on running shoes the consistent thing that had evidence base was um comfort get a comfortable pair of shoes and they're probably going to be good for you so that's really key um off the back of that another key principle that i you know, coach runners around is transitioning to shoes that are lighter for sure but over time so not making that transition from something that's bulkier, a more motion control shoe to a more of a neutral shoe too quickly um, mm. without calf strength and a bit of robustness in the Achilles tendon and things. So, and then, you know, I normally look for a bit of stiffness in the forefoot for runners. That tends to help the majority of runners. And, um, yeah, so they're the key principles, Brett. There's a few more, but they'd probably be the major ones. Yeah, it's because, yeah, it can be hard for people, can't it? Because there's so many different shoes out there now and there's so many different theories around what shoes should and shouldn't have and much of that is driven as much by marketing as it is by any sort of research or you know, evidence to support the efficacy of those particular shoes. And so it can be really hard for people, I think, who go into a shoe shop and get very confidently told a particular piece of advice by someone uh, because that's what they've been told by the rep who sells the shoes to them. Um, but it's not necessarily the right thing for that person. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it can be a minefield, which is why I sort of the sub, subheading of the chapter is how to navigate the, the footwear maze. It really is a yeah. maze. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the other thing to consider is, you know, particularly for people looking to move towards, as you said, lighter shoes or perhaps more minimalist shoes or even to go barefoot is that, you know, there are other considerations that need to come in there as well. You know, I think many people, if not most people, can do that if that's what they wish to do. But there is certainly a section of the population who have, um, you know, congenital issues, degenerative issues, um, chronic disease issues that that may not be the right idea for as well, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And I really have a, a core belief, Brett, that, um, you know, you should be able to, as a runner, if things are in place, put on any shoe off the shelf, provided it's the right size, and be able to run, you know, without an injury and without it causing a problem. Um, but naturally, you're going to feel better in some shoes than others, and there's going to be a sweet spot you know, where there are a few certain shoes will, will do the best by you. So, but yeah, absolutely, it's not a one size fits all. Bad pun, I know. It's you know, <laughs> there's a lot of individuality, but I do think the confusion, I agree, is largely born out of you know the promises that are often made with a certain pair of shoes. And I mean, if we just take take it at a, in a helicopter view, I mean. Out of at this, that's absurd. Even at this, as a you know, as a thought, how can we just be so reliant on one something that sits on the bottom of our feet? I mean, yeah, running is a lot more than that. 
Yeah, well, and and for a large proportion of our evolution, we didn't have them at all. So, you know, there, there's obviously some sort of innate capability there to be able to do it without those shoes. And I look back at Brett, you know, the the greats of you know the Ron Clarks and the Herb Elliotts, yeah, and, you know, the Australian running legends, and you see them running the sand dunes and the track, and you know. Even uh, a baby Bickler in the Olympic Games winning Olympic gold in 1960, 1964, barefooted. Um, yeah. And so you look back at the work they were doing decades ago, running in some times, some nations, comparatively very quick times to the modern era. And, yeah, they didn't have fancy, you know. Well, that's right. And, and Cliff Young did it in gumboots, right? So there's <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate example of what you're saying. You know, he obviously felt pretty comfortable in those gumboots from his farming days. So What a legend. Yeah. <laughs> what a classic. So we're almost out of time, mate, but I'd love to know before we finish up, what's your running routine nowadays? What do you do? Brett, I'm a consistent runner. For me, it works around my family, around my, 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 my business, work life. And um, funnily enough, I, I love running. I started as a teenager, like I said at the start, not running, but now it's, it's something that is my outlet. So my routine, Brett, is I run six out of seven days um, and what works for me is uh, picking events and trying to better myself with my own time. So I'm competitive, but competitive with myself. Um, so I like to set goals at the start of the year. I've got the Gold Coast Marathon this year. And uh, for me, that helps motivate me to get out there and do it and lead by example with you know, my community. So, mate, I've got a combination of runs through the week from fartlek runs to track sessions, long runs, recovery runs. And the thing that holds it together for me, Brett, is, um, you know, I'm pretty diligent and disciplined around some strength work for my body. That's what keeps yeah, me good. injury free. Yeah, I think that's crucially important to make sure you keep doing that. That was certainly, you know, when I was doing training for marathons and ultra marathons, it was making sure I did some of that functional fitness in between and some of that strength work I found to be, particularly whole body stuff, I found to be crucial. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Brad. Um, for people who want to find out more about you, they can obviously head to your website, pogophysio.com.au. Um, they can find you on Instagram and Twitter at brad underscore beer. Um, they can go to Amazon and get your book, You Can Run Pain-Free. Um, and obviously also at your website, they can find out information about your Discover Recover sessions and also your running workshops that you hold up there in the Gold Coast. So thanks for coming on board, mate. Thanks for having me and keep up the great work. I'm a big fan of uh, what you're doing. Beautiful. Thank you so much, mate. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.